So our tour tradition today is Hiya Sarah Sarah's life. Um, we're gonna. <laughs> well, he can listen to it on the website. Um, we're we'll briefly talk about it a little bit, but we're not actually gonna. Um, that's not where we're gonna speak from today. We're gonna actually be reading in Chronicles. Um, so let's, before we get into this, why don't we just go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll look into this. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, for your word, for this Shabbat, this time to be together, uh, to come, to learn from your word, to fellowship, to uh, observe this day of rest that you've given us, a day that is the memorial of creation, um, the beginning of all of our holy uh, gatherings and festivals, and um, I just thank you for it, <coughs> and uh May you just draw us ever closer to you and your word as we um, as we walk in this life. In Yeshua's name I pray, amen. All right, so uh, go ahead and we'll go to uh, Genesis 23. We're going to briefly look at this. It's funny that this, uh, this portion is called Chai Sarah, the life of Sarah, but it's actually when she dies. <laughs> And so, basically, right after um, Abraham and Isaac get back, not right after, but after Abraham and Isaac get back from the mountain where um, God spares uh, Isaac's life and provides the ram in the thicket, and he slays that instead of Isaac, you have this portion where uh, Sarah dies. Sarah is um, uh, 127 years old. She's pretty old, yeah. And so she dies. Abraham comes to mourn for her. And she and he wants a portion of land in which to bury her. And so she he goes to the children of Heth that are in the land there and says, um, you know, give me a portion of land that I might buy it from you that I may bury Sarah. Because up until this point, he's just been a sojourner and a wanderer. He doesn't actually own any of the land. And so that's part of the astounding nature of the faith and trust of Abraham is that God's promised all this land to him and all these descendants, and he's got, you know, one kid from Sarah and no land. <laughs> but so, um, you know, he ba- he sees basically none of the promises come to fruition, but he does see the might and power of God, and he looks forward to the day um, of, uh, of all these coming to pass. And so he buys land for 400 shekels of silver there, where there's a cave, and there he buries... Uh, Sarah, and eventually, um, eventually, uh, Isaac's also buried there, and I think Jacob might be buried there too, I can't remember. And so, he buys that land, and so he becomes a landowner, a deed to the land. And, uh, then he sends off, um, his servant Eliezer to go to, uh, the land of his forefathers to get a wife for Isaac because he doesn't want him marrying any of the children of the land. Um, and so he says, you know, go back to my family and my kindred and they and he brings back Rebecca. And so Rebecca comes back on the camels and um, uh, Isaac come, gets up out of the field in the evening when they ride into town um, and she covers herself with a veil and he sees her and they get married and live happily ever after. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Cool. And uh, so, just like real life. 
Just like real life. But I, I think this is a good lesson. There's a good lesson in there for, um, for marriage and for relationships that she goes sight unseen to marry this guy. Um, knowing that it was from God, basically. And then it says that at the very end that he uh, married her. Let me just see where it is. 67 of chapter 24. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca. She became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after, comforted after his mother's death. And the order there, and they may, and if you read any traditional Jewish sources, they make a big deal out of that they get married and then he loves her. The idea being that the the relationship is not, and the marriage is not built on emotions. It's built on commitment and covenant, and because emotions. Ebb and, ebb and flow, you know, they, they don't always stay all warm and fuzzy. Um, but the, the, the commitment is what the important part is. And so uh, then we have Abraham takes another wife, Keturah, and he has more kids. Uh, interesting, out of that comes the people of Midian, the Midianites. And uh, But Abraham gives everything he has to Isaac, and gives gifts to all the other kids, and, but sends up the sends them away, and Abraham dies in chapter 25. Isaac and Ishmael bury him in that same cave, and uh, Isaac goes off and dwells, and then we get the generations of Ishmael, and he has 12 sons. So it's interesting that, you know, the, the personification of the adversary of Israel mirrors Israel, you know. Ishmael has 12 sons, and there's 12, you know. So uh, that's what the adversary always does. He he imitates everything that God does, because if you can imitate it and make it seem somewhat like it, you know, people are more willing to follow that and go with it. And we see that all over the place all the time. And so um, that's why we need discernment and wisdom and knowledge that comes from God to be able to uh, know that which is from him and because his word is spirit and truth we have to know it to be able to discern uh, and have that spirit of discernment okay so but what we're actually going to talk about today what I want to talk about is in second chronicles and we're going to look primarily at chapter 15 but we're going to talk a little bit 12 and 14 and 16 so if you want to go there <laughs> now I was reading through this just in my regular reading um, so but, but and we're gonna it's about the life of King Asa or Asa however you want to say his name and he is the great grandson of Solomon and it's astounding to me just to see the rate of entropy the rate of corruption that happens in this family line from, from David. It's like David, you know, although he wasn't perfect, he had he had a good right heart. And so he does what he's supposed to do. And then you get to Solomon and it all just falls apart. You know? I mean Solomon was a great king and a wise man, but right because of his sins, because of what he did wrong, <clears throat> the kingdom uh, is uh, separated into two once his once Rehoboam his son takes over and so you have Jeroboam that takes over Israel and the and the kingdom is separated the kingdom is divided and split um, because of the, the the faulty leadership of the, of the king and so there's huge ramifications as the way the leader goes 
so does the whole country and nation. And so what we see at this great-grandson's period is this, um, is what we're going to see is that Israel, it says in chapter uh, uh, 15, was without, I'll just read it. Israel, uh, okay, third, three, 15, three. Now for a long season, Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. So here you are, Asa, the grand, great-grandson of Solomon, and for a long time, Israel's been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law. And what we're going to read in here is that because of that, God's sending all these enemies against them to vex them and to uh, cause them problems because they're not obeying. They're not following him. They, they, don't follow, they don't have God in their midst, in their presence. They don't have a priest that's teaching them. And then they don't have, because of that, they don't have laws. They don't have structure. They don't have instruction in their life to be able to do what is right. So everything's a mess. So you have Asa come on the scene. And um, there was something different about him. And I want to contrast him before we kind of get into this with um, Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son. So if you go back to chapter 12 and verse 15, 14, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 12, 14, it says, He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek Yehovah. So Rehoboam was evil. Because he prepared not his heart to seek Yehovah. Because that's where everything begins. It begins inside the core of the fabric of, of who you are as a poor person in your heart. Your, that is the, the area of your motivation. That is the this place in which God's spirit is supposed to come in and dwell. And to give you his motivation and his drive to serve and obey him. But Rehoboam prepared not his heart to serve God. When you look up that word, what's really interesting is that word, uh, in its real simple form, it means uh, it means truth or to be honest. And, and so we don't often, I, I anyways, often think of preparing something to be truth, but it has to be done correctly to have the right outcome, right? If you're going to prepare a meal, there's another uh, verse in where it's used in in relation to preparing a meal. If the meal is going to come out properly and you want the right result, you have to follow the recipe. You have to do uh, what needs to be done to have a proper outcome. And that is the true recipe, right? And so Rehoboam did not have an honest and true heart with him. him. He followed his own concoctions and his own ways. And that is called not preparing his heart to seek God. And so when you don't have truth in your heart, when you're not honest in your heart, you will not, um, you'll not be honest with yourself and true with yourself, and you'll do what you want to do, and you'll have your own outcome instead of obeying God. Whereas Asa, what we're going to see with him is he chose to follow God. And I... I think this whole passage is really, really important for our day and age because it's it's kind of a reoccurring theme throughout Israel where uh, the people of God are in disarray. They're 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 separated from each other. 
Um, there's mixture of good and bad all over the place with idol worship and things going on. But what we're going to see is a, uh, a restoration happening when a good leader comes with a right heart and then he starts to set in motion changes that then the people kind of come out of the woodwork because they see what's happening, right? And then what we're going to see is they all, what happens in the New Testament, they all get together on Pentecost, right? And the Spirit of God descends to equip His people for what He's going to do. And so this is what's happening here, here, and, you know, it's going to continue, I think. All right, so let's get into this. So um, this is the life of King Asa of Judah. So let's go to 15, <coughs> chapter 15. And the Spirit came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Yehovah is with you while ye be with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, for a long season Israel had been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto Yehovah God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. In those times there was no peace to him that went out or to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. Nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So let's stop right there. We'll kind of comment. So God sends this prophet. He sends Azariah to Asa. And he tells him, what I find interesting is, you know, we tend to think of prophecy as like end time, this, that, or another thing. Most, I would, most of the time, what God, the prophets are telling the people is, obey God and return to him. Do what's right, you know. If you don't, blah, 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 blah. It's just kind of natural ramification. So he, all he says to him, he says, Yehovah is with you while you be with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then skip down to verse 7 where he continues. Be ye strong, therefore, and not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So the same thing happens is, is, is the message that's being spoken, I believe, by the Spirit of God through his people to all, all of us, his people, right now, as Moses said it when they were getting ready to go into the land of Israel. If ye, Yehovah is with you, well, you be with him. What, is, what does that mean? Why does that happen? Because when you prepare your heart in truth, God responds to that. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will be he will forsake you. It's cause and effect. So if we seek God, we will find him. If we uh, uh, if we're with him, he will be with us. But what we read in here, and what I what I had read earlier, is that for a long season Israel had been without um, without a true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. You know, and it's amazing to me that that could could happen in just you know four generations, but but it happened. You know, but it's not all that far fetched because I mean, I don't know. I couldn't tell you anything about my great grandfather, great great great, 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 
Yeah, great grandfather. Yeah, great father. Great, great grandfather. <laughs> on my dad's side, I couldn't even tell you his name. Um, his name um, is mine. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, that tells us. Oh, it was, it was he was the doctor, right? Okay, so I know I take that back. I know a little bit about him. Oh, he was a doctor. He went to Brown. You know, we've fallen very far from the tree. <laughs> Maybe we take more after him on the other side. So Leroy, I, Leroy, on my mom's side, he was a farmer. You know, but I only know snippets of snapshots, really, of these guys' lives uh, passed down orally from family members. You know, so who knows how different I am from them, right? You know? <laughs> my point being that you know I think back you know these guys lived in the 1800s you know huh you know it's a lot different than, than things are now and so because of chaos and because of entropy and because of sin uh, and God's people's propensity to just go downhill and to not obey until somehow God sends a prophet and he raises up a person to, you know, stem the tide and to get a hold of what's going on inside them, things just tend to wind down, you know. And so here we are, uh, you know, over a hundred years later from when they were born. And so the same thing was happening with, um, with Asa. And so for a long season there had been no true God. The priests had fallen in decay. There wasn't a teaching priest, and they were without law. But what's happening now? God is restoring these three things. He, the true God, who he really is, his essence and his nature is being restored. We have a lot of bad, but some good teachers that are being risen back up, teaching priests. They're not the priesthood, but we're you know, priests of God. And so the main, main job of the priest was to speak forth God's word. To show people how to live and how to walk. And so from that, then you have the law. The Torah structure, order is being reestablished within the people. So let's keep on going. So he tells him, if, you're gonna, if you'll be with God, he'll be with you. With, uh, he'll be with you. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. So be strong, therefore, and let, your hands, let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. That's... Uh, the same message for us. We need to be strong. Eight. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, um, <coughs> he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of Yahweh that was before the porch of Yehovah. So he takes courage. And what does he do? The first thing he does when he decides and he says, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to turn back into God, he cleans up his act. He cleans up his life. He gets rid of those things, those contaminating influence that has come into his life that have muddied the waters of, uh, of obedience in his life to God. So he gets rid of all the idols. He gets rid of all that garbage and gets it out of the land and out of any city that he has. And then what does he do? He renews the altar, that place in which they would bring their sacrifices. So he gets rid of the impurities in his life and then he rebuilds and he cleanses that which was 
uh, involved with the worship and obedience of God. Same thing goes on in our life. We've got to get rid of the idols, those things that keep us from obeying God. And then we have to reconstruct and renew you know, our, our, our fervent uh, following of God and our worship of Him and our obedience to Him. This, this place of the altar sacrifice the words of our lips you know so we are to cleanse that so then what happens what's really cool and this is what's happening now he gathered all judah and benjamin and the strangers with them out of ephraim and manasseh and out of simeon for they fell to him out of israel in abundance when they saw that Yehovah, his god was with him I, see, I think this is happening now and needs to happen even more so that when we have the leaders of God and the people of God taking courage and getting the idols out of their life and cleaning up the, their, the altar of their heart uh, to serve God, that then the strangers out of Israel, uh, which may have been, you know, foreigners essentially is what they were, they were... They came in droves. Those who had a seed of faith within them, they saw what was happening in God's people, and they wanted to be a part of that. And so they came out of where they were when they saw that God was with them. Ten. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. It doesn't tell us specifically, but I believe this is for, was for uh, Pentecost. It was for Shavuot, because that's what was the time of year when this would happen. And so it would make sense because it was one of the pilgrimage festivals that they were all to gather in Jerusalem. So you have this festival which really is commemorating the giving of the Torah. So you have this reinstating and this renewing of the covenant of the Torah in the people, lives of the people, because the work of the Spirit is happening within them and they're being renewed. And that's what always happens. When God's spirit is working and when it's renewing people, it is all to establish his word. Because that is who he is. That's his nature. That's his plan for his people. And that's what he wants to see worked out in their lives. So the giving of the spirit is, is synonymous and harmonious with his word to do it. Because his word is spirit. It is unseen until it was spoken until it was uh you know it was uh, abraham we know abraham kept his Torah, kept his word and i believe it was in his heart then you got a big homogenous group of people you got to write it down on tablets as entropy happens right then you got this going out into all the world so what does he do he makes it as prolific as he can you know what what more can you do it has in the hand of (coughs) of everybody oh we don't read it we don't seek him we don't pursue him so we don't find him, so we forsake him, and he forsakes us. You know? It, it's it's cause and effect. He's doing all he can. You know, I mean, while while the world says, well, if there was God, you know, why is this, that, and another thing happening? You know, so they build, they add drunkenness to thirst. You know? In their reasoning. But we're supposed to seek God be strong, get rid of the idols in our, our, our life, and, and rebuild the altar. And then, what happens? The strangers from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon start to come out because they see God is with them. 
right? His spirit is moving and working. So they offer all these uh, offerings in verse 11, verse 12. They enter into a covenant. What? To seek Yehovah, God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. That whosoever should not seek Yehovah, God of Israel, should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. And they swore unto Yehovah with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and coronets, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them. And Yehovah gave them rest round about. Woo! And I, thought, oh, I just love it. And, and that's like what happened, because again, you know, keeping in your mind, you know, what happened in Mount Sinai with the Torah, giving the Torah, and then um, at Pentecost, as we call it in Acts chapter 2, you know, this, this uh, you know, life and this energy and this rejoicing for God's spirit coming down and tongues of fire on the mountain and then on the tops of the apostles and these people rededicating themselves to God with the covenant to seek him with their whole heart and their whole desire and God's found of them. You know, he, he indwells his people and, and gives them strength and he gives them rest, right? Whereas, but, but if you go back, when they don't, when there's no God, when there's no priest and there's no command, what happens? He vexes them with the inhabitants of the countries and the adversity. You know, all these patterns. So I, I, I see just, you know, in this chapter, this portion here, the, this pattern that's, I believe, happening now. And if we will come return to God and swear to him with a loud voice, that he will be with us. So, 16. <clears throat> also concerning Macha, the mother of Asa the queen, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in the grove and Asa cut down her idol, stamped it, and burned it at the brook of Kidron. Yeah, take that! <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect in all his days. And he brought into the house of God the things which his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated. Silver, golden vessels, and when there was no more war into the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa. Now if you keep reading, things don't go so well for Asa in the end. And again, I believe that's that just kind of ebb and flow, unfortunately, of God's people because it wasn't time yet for the restoration of his people. And full, um, you know, there was judgment still forthcoming for disobedience that had to be meted out because God's a just God. And um, but there's there's this there's this pattern that happens that even though you know, because God knew Asa's heart, God knew who he was, God knew that he was going to fall again, that he was going to do wrong, but he he didn't. And praise God he doesn't. He didn't uh, forsake him utterly and just say, well, you're just going to be a wash-up anyway. And and not enter into his life when he did follow him and he did seek him and choose him. And same for us. And th- same for David. You know, even though we have our ups and our downs, 
you know, we, we are, God doesn't leave us without hope, you know, he doesn't leave us abandoned. If we seek him, he will be found with him, found by him. He'll find us, you know, and that's really reassuring. And so we, the same prophecy goes to us and we should be strong to pursue God. Let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. You know, we may not see the reaping of that work, but that doesn't matter. Abraham didn't, you know. But we reap it because his hands were not weak and he, he struggled on. How much more so we should struggle on. Um, you just don't know what, what your actions, the ramifications of those will have, good and bad. So let them be good. And then... Um, I want to I want to go now to uh, Psalm 100 because to me, for me, you know, it's really easy to get uh, to kind of be you know get down with the whole weight of of everything in the messianic world, religious world, the world, whatever, and you know the tr- problems and the chaos. But that really isn't where our focus should be. And God has commanded us not to be down in the dumps. We're to be strong. We're to be victorious. We're to be uh, those that people see like King Asa and they want to come down out of where they are because they see God with them. And, and we're to be, uh, have an attitude of, I don't even know what to call it. I don't know. An attitude of strength, of happiness, of joy, of contentment, of resolve, you know, not of, oh, woe is me in our rain cloud, you know, which is really easy to have, even though everything may not be okay. <laughs> that doesn't matter. We serve God and we obey Him. So, <clears throat> Psalm 100, we'll just read it real quick. So it says, I will sing, I'm sorry, that was 101, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto Yehovah all ye lands, serve Yehovah with gladness, come before his presence with singing, know ye that Yehovah, he is God, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves, for we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name, for Yehovah is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. So, you know, I, we used to say this every evening at the dinner table, and we had it memorized, and uh, I never really thought about it much. But it's such a powerful, powerful psalm. We are to make a joyful noise. No, these are these are things that are supposed to characterize God's people. We're to make a joyful noise. We're to serve with gladness. You know, we tell them, be happy. You know, it's a choice. Quit moping around. Change your attitude. You know, we tell kids that all the time. But for some reason, we give ourselves a pass because, oh, like, so, get over it. So make a joyful noise. Serve with gladness. Sing in his presence. Enter with thanksgiving and praise. Be thankful and bless his name. Why? Because he's good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. He's good, 
His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, we have things to be thankful for and to be happy about. And we're instructed to have physical actions that resemble that. You know, if everybody that was going up into the temple to serve God was just, you know, slogging along because life was so hard and they had to work six days a week, you know, it's like, no, God's, he's good. His mercy endures, and his, or his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. So make a joyful noise. Serve with gladness. Sing in his presence, you know, these simple things. Enter into th- with thanksgiving and praise. Be thankful. Bless his name, you know. So, I don't know. Remember Asa and, and what happened there. Seek God, serve him. Don't be like Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who did not prepare his heart. He did not have truth in his heart. He was not an honest man. You know, because if... That's why a lot of times I think if, you know, if people were really honest with themselves, you see reality and you would have to change. You, you, it then forces you to change one way or the other. Most people just choose not to be honest with themselves. And so the byproduct of that is just mixture and chaos and whatever it ends up manifesting their lives into. Whereas if you are true, the only thing that devi- defines truth is God's word then that truth will enter into your heart and it will start to transform your mind which will then start to build habits and transformations to transform your behavior and the way that you walk. And what helps us to do that then in these outward manifestations of what those change that's happened in us is to make these joyful noises, serve with gladness, sing in his presence, enter with thanksgiving and praise, be thankful and bless his name. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this word on ah, this day. and It was just so encouraging to me. I don't know. And so help us to be people with strong hands to serve you, God, and not turn back that those around us may see that God's with us, that you're with us. Uh, help us just to get the idols out of our lives, to rebuild the altar, in our hearts, uh, to serve and obey you, that your um, strength may be manifest in our lives, to be your witness uh, where we are, and to be happy, and that knowing that we are part of a piece of your kingdom that is being rebuilt and reestablished, and that one day you will return to it and reign. We will see that one day, God. So I thank you for all these things. I bless your name. Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.